When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the debut edition of Terry's Talking. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com. I'm joined by award-winning sports writer Terry Pluto, author of Loose Balls, of course. Uh, his book on the ABA, The Curse of Rocky Calavito, Brownstown, 1964. Terry, I'm missing about seven or ten other books you've done. Yes, <laughs> but coming way. soon. Coming soon, David. Hopefully within a few months. Vintage Browns. Excellent. Yeah, a lot on the Browns of the 80s and stuff like that. So it's like you're like the Stephen King of Cleveland sports writing. You always got something oh, going. So I wish I could just get the money like Stephen King <laughs> pays in state taxes. That would be great. <laughs> hey, so we're going to do this once a week yes. and it's just a chance for uh, for Terry to kind of um, Terry and I to have a chat about what's going on in Cleveland sports. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see how it goes here. We hope you enjoy the podcast. We're going to talk some Browns, Cavs, Indians today. And then uh, we're going to save Terry's Brown season prediction for the end of the podcast. So you can stick around for that. Um, Terry, I know it's your favorite time of year that just ended Browns preseason football, and NFL <laughs> preseason football. I know what a big fan you are, a huge uh. fan. Um, but, you know, there, there are some things we learned here. And I know you've written a little bit about mm-hmm. um, your take on the offense and the defense. Why don't we just do a quick rundown? of how you feel about both units right now. And I know um, you, you were pretty impressed with what Baker Mayfield did the other night against Atlanta. I think that seeing Baker in two series shows why you do want your quarterback at least play some in the preseason. At least this has always been my thought. Because in that first series, you know, he had two passes batted down. It was a timing thing. I don't care what they do with their playing the Giants or this other stuff. When the, when the uh, quarterback's in a red jersey, you can't touch them, and the coaches are there to stop stuff. It's not the same even as a preseason game. And then you saw the second time around, the timing was good and everything else. And I think that's important. And if you look back at – remember that game at Baltimore? Baker was awful when they opened the season last year without any preseason. And I, I believe – and then the other – if you really go back to his rookie year – where he didn't start the season, but he played a lot in the preseason when he was thrown in there at halftime of that game against, I believe it was the jets. He was ready to go. So I thought that was important to see that. I mean, I'm amazed these receivers, they just have all these guys catching balls, David. I know you were a big Davy and David's fan before all this. Well, it's too bad. He can't start the season with the suspension because he's made some amazing catches. And I think Kevin Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski has been talking about this guy catches everything high, low. They they've been, they knew he was good, but they've even been more impressed than they thought they would be by his ability to bring everything in. So yeah, definitely. It's going to be a tough cut down day. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, we're recording this before the final cuts are made on Tuesday afternoon, but uh, they just have a wealth of talent at receiver. And it's a, it's a great problem to have when you have players that you're kind of regretting you're having to cut. And the other thing, David, we, you know, you can say, well, I think Odell's going to be healthy. You know, my thing on Odell always has been 
durability. Before he came to the Browns, he had missed 16 of the previous 32 games. Over the last four years, he's now missed 43% of his games. Mm-hmm. To assume you're going to have Odell every game, uh, that would be nice. The one year where he did play every game, it's for sure with the Browns, he never practiced. And I think that hurt him. So I like the fact you've got Higgins and you've got Peoples Jones who's taken that great step forward and, you know, perhaps Kadaro Hodge. I mean, who knows the different backup receivers they have, but they have a number of them. And so that's, you know, that's a big deal. Yeah. And just looking at the, you know, I know there were a lot of people who were saying, oh, you shouldn't play Baker in the last game. He's going to get hurt. But in typical Kevin Stefanski fashion, I thought it it was just, they, they didn't leave him open to anything dangerous. There were no like seven step drops. Everything was rolling out in space. Um, they were very smart about what they called because they didn't want to leave him open to any kind of possibility of injury. And um, I think offensively, they got everything they could have wanted out of preseason, right? I would believe so. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the offensive line has played together in the past. So you didn't have Treader out there, but you had the other guys. Um, tight ends all over the place. Now, whereas I don't really think you need to play your top running backs in the preseason, they just sort of go out there and run. <laughs> you know, Dearness Johnson's a good player, by the way. I mean, we'll see what happens with him. But that was what was nice to see. Now, defensively, uh, I still have some concerns, David. I know you've been you've been writing and talking about the defensive backfield and just how you think they're susceptible to injuries. They are. And, and also they're like, they're like pitchers. Those defensive backs are like pitchers. It seems like you can never have enough. They come up with hamstrings. They come up with shoulders. They come up with these injuries. Um, and in the same way, baseball has evolved where you're using so many different pitchers in a game. Well, football's the same way. You, you might have four defensive backs on your first series of the game or the first few downs, excuse me. And then after that, you've got five. You might have six. You know, Woods, Joe Woods, his coordinator, he loves safeties. He wants 12,000 safeties. Well, let's get Grant Delpit on the field. I want to see this. You know, Greedy Williams, I want to see this. And so you, there are concerns. Ronnie Harrison, who actually had been fairly durable till he came to the Browns last year, he missed five games last year right. with, with different injuries. So that's where my concern is. I will say this, if they kept bringing in, you know, Troy Hill and John Johnson, the third, and they draft Newsom and they drafted this guy LeCount, you know, so they went out and got some guys with some talent because they know they were vulnerable there. But I mean, still, if I, I mean, here it is, David, you're a, uh, you're opposing offensive coordinator. You're facing the Browns. What do you want to do? Throw the ball. Yeah. And attack. And, but the thing about, about the woods defense this year, though, is I felt like last year he was having to play certain um, defenses because of the personnel. Sure. And I think this year, and even when he's talked about this, I think what you're going to be able to see here is going into the season is he's going to be able to mix and match things a lot and, and throw a lot of different looks at offenses because he's got people that he can rely on. Um, when he, when he, when he blitzes or when he, when he drops eight, you know, there, he, he's got a lot more flexibility, I think. Is that the sense you're getting? Yes. And yeah. assuming most of those guys are, could be able to be used. That's all I'm saying. Um, right now, you know, JOK, we'll see what happened with him. I, I didn't quite get this. Uh, he hurt his head, forehead, lifting weights or something. I mean, it's, uh, but you know, he's a very intriguing player. Uh, We've all been there, Terry. Don't tell, don't tell me you've never dropped a bar on your head when you've been benching 300 pounds. That, that's happened to you. I dropped a bar. I dropped a 45 <laughs> bottle bar, but maybe that was the difference. It just kind of 
you know, what was left of my hair got bruised, but it didn't particularly <laughs> cause whatever it happened to that guy. Um, so we, we will see. The remarkable thing is if when you go into a season and you say, all right, I have confidence in the coaching staff. I don't need a quarterback. I don't need a running back. I really like my offensive line. Receivers, we talked about them. I've got one really good pass fresher and possibly two if, if Clowney stays healthy. You know, I've got some good defensive backs. I've got a lot of stuff. I don't have a kicker, but that's – listen to this one. When your kicker becomes real high on the list, not to diminish kickers, but that means you've got a lot of things going for you. And, you know, there's, I know there's a lot of Steelers fans in Northeast Ohio. And I think something that they can, that Browns fans can take solace in is that the Browns have, and Andrew Barry have built this team like the Steelers always have, right? They've started on the lines, mm -hmm. got the quarterback, they've got the running game and everything emanates from the lines out. And mm -hmm. I know what you're saying about the defensive backs, but I think if you had to choose between having a, a good defensive line and a good defensive backfield, if you couldn't have both, you would pick the defensive line. I, th I think, and, and that's kind of the, the way the Steelers have always done it. And, and it's proven effective. Even if they have a running back go down, they still have a good offensive line and they can still get production usually out of that position. So well, if you go back and look at the days of Denver with uh, Fox and um, Kubiak and all that, it almost mm -hmm. didn't matter who they slotted in there with that zone blocking scheme that Callahan uses and everything else. They, uh, they had a thousand yard rusher. They just did. And the great thing for the Browns and their fans is, you have that same offense, but you have extraordinary running backs on top of it. Right. What did, what did Nick Chubb average? Nine yards a carry in the fourth quarter? Was it 11 yards a carry? It was it was outrageous. Yeah, I think it was nine, nine and a half, somewhere around there. I think you're right, <laughs> which is an incredible stat. And even even more impressive than averaging over five yards a carry. <laughs> in the fourth quarter. In, in all carries, yeah. And remember, there were other games where uh, Hunt just took the ball in the fourth quarter. Right. I mean, that is misery. When you talk about uh, now, if you're the opposing defensive coordinator facing the Browns, I mean, frankly, what do you do? It's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see. I, you know, I think fans are going to get used to the Browns scoring at least 28 points a game, and that's a good formula mm -hmm. for success in the NFL. When they used so. to score 13. Yeah, they did. Yep. And and the other thing that's interesting, by the way, so I get these emails from fans about worrying about the return game or, uh, you know, punt returns, kickoffs. I was talking to a high ranking Browns official. And basically he said, we just want the ball. He goes, in other words, catch the ball. You know, if you get a great return, fine, but I just want our offense just to get the ball. Don't make any mistakes. Don't make fumbles. Don't penalties. You know, even if you start the ball in the 25 yard line all the time, fine, we're ready to go. In other words, and that's what you do when you have a really good offense. Just give us the ball. Well, and I bet and they have analytics that show that the, the difference between having a 10 yard punt return and a, and a fair catch probably isn't that much, you know, maybe they, you know, I'm sure they have numbers to back up that approach. So no. And then you turn around and you factor in the, the possibility of a penalty mm -hmm. and you want to think your guys aren't going to make penalties, but that's the problem with special teams. You have so many guys are new to the NFL and kind of raw and it's a wild uh, event anyway with people running at each other from different angles and you keep telling all these special teams guys make a big play make a big play well sometimes you know in their effort to do that five flags come out and now you're back yeah facing a longer field so 
hey, I know we don't want to spend too much time on special teams, but I, there's, there's two things that Cleveland sports fans absolutely love. And that is former Indians who are doing well with other teams. Yes. They love to, they love to follow and, and have a huge interest in that. And the other one is Brown's kickers. Yes. And I'm and, one of them. I love Brown's. I love kickers. <laughs> um, so Chase McLaughlin, how do you feel about him at this point? Ever since Phil Dawson left, obviously fans are always unsettled about the kicking, the kicking and game. Should you, be. You, you, <laughs> how do you feel about the situation with him? And um, should Browns fans be worried? Well, I am. Well, it, it is, it's a hard place to kick. And Phil Dawson proved that by how well he kicked and then what happened afterwards. Um, the difference is, too, when you're a guy like McLaughlin or even Cody Parkin, you've been cut three times, four times. Maybe I think Parkey's been with five different teams or something like that. Yep. Uh, um, it, it gets into your head. And Dawson once told me, he said, these special teams coaches, most of them, and he really said this, don't have a clue of how to coach kickers. He says, we live in our own world. And he said, I, he goes, I had some great special teams coaches in terms of the whole unit, that kind of stuff. But when it came down to me kicking the ball, it was me kicking the ball. And I had my tapes. You know, maybe a guy would get used to what I was doing. But for the most part, he said, it's, it's just very lonely. And kickers are here over and over again, how they're replaceable parts with the exception of, you know, Justin Tucker, some of these other guys, there's like maybe six or eight great kickers and the rest is like pull them out of a hat. The problem is you pull them out of the hat at the wrong time of the game and he hits the crossbar or he misses an extra point. That was a kind of bad thing about McLaughlin. I believe he had only missed one extra point in his entire NFL career um, in regular season. It was something like 15 out of 16. And, you know, he, he missed that one at the end of the game the other day. Yeah, and I, I thought it was interesting the other night against Atlanta. The um, they were talking on the TV broadcast about why didn't Kevin Stefanski try and get another five yards to shorten that fifty-four yarder? And I was sitting here watching the game, and I'm thinking, well, he doesn't want it to be shorter. He wants no. it to be fifty-four yards, and he wants to see what he can do with it. And uh, he said after the game, he wanted to put the team and and Chase under pressure to see how they'd perform. And of course, he hit the crossbar. But um, it's it's interesting. Everything Stefanski does, there's a there's a method to his madness and mm-hmm. and you know in a game he would have tried to shorten that but in a real game but i think here he was looking for some data to see how these guys would perform so and probably because there's gonna there's gonna be a point i can't remember how exactly long phil dawson's kick in buffalo in a snowstorm was but it's more than 50 yards like near the end of a game to make it uh, i got to know dawson pretty well and dawson told me too that he would tell um the coaches before the game, and then he recalibrated halftime, how far he can make a kick. He believed he said, so in other words, we would figure this out. He said, but in the last minute of the game, uh, oftentimes that just goes out. You know, you just say, all right. So there may be a time you're playing the Steelers and that score is tied maybe, or something like that. Well, what if we tried from 54 yards? I wonder if this guy could get it there. Actually, he showed a pretty good leg on that. It just, you know, he needed one more inch. Yep. So that was impressive. Then we followed up with the extra point, which was not. 
All right. Well, we'll see. I'm sure this will be an ongoing saga and Browns fans will be able to talk mm-hmm. kickers all season long. So, so you mentioned Phil Dawson. Why don't we switch to the Cavs and, and talk about a guy that was also very loved by fans in Northeast Ohio and beyond. And that's Larry Nance Jr. Who was traded last week to Portland. Um, it was interesting. You talked to Mark Bartlestein, his agent, and you wrote a column about it. And it was an interesting tale about how this all came together behind the scenes. Right, because the Cavs have been turning down some trade offers for uh, Larry Jr. almost from the time they got him, probably the end of that first season with LeBron. Because uh, when you mentioned analytics, basketball analytics loves Larry Nash Jr. You know, in terms of his ability to move the ball, deflections and rebounds and defense and all that stuff. Um, it's funny, all the things that old-fashioned coaches said, you know, don't show up in the box score, but I like the guy. Well, the analytics showed, well, you're right. That's exactly the kind of guy that helps you win. <laughs> so you had, and on top of it, you know, the, the attitude and the leadership and everything that he brings. Um, I'm the only guy probably in the history of the NBA was happy to be traded from the Lakers to Cleveland. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, maybe there's another one, but I don't know who it would have been. And, but I, I really believe behind what Mark Bartlestein said, which actually he said, this kind of began with a phone call from me, the agent, to uh, Kobe Altman, the Cavs GM. He said, well, Larry's at the point in his career, he wants to play meaningful games and this kind of thing. And I also think, too, since if you think about it, other than Kevin Love, Larry is a senior member of the team. And you go back, he's played for Ty Lue, and he played for Larry Drew, and he played for John Beeline, and he's played for J.B. Bickerstaff, and that's four coaches in three and a half years. And once LeBron left, you know, all the roster changing, all the young guys, um, that's just difficult on a player, especially a guy who isn't out there just scoring 20-some points. You know, I got my 20. I don't care if the team won or not. I mean, that's not Larry Nash Jr., yeah, so you're saying the way he plays, winning is even more important to a guy like him who does the little stuff to help a team win. Yes, and yeah. and I and I think you look at this year. It's can they be a little better? Sure, but I, there's nothing that happened on the roster right now that makes me think they're going to go from, you know, twenty wins to forty or something like. They're not. So, and he sees that too. So that that began, but then the discussion was. Um, can the gas get something in return? Can it be a place that would make sense for Larry Nance to do this? And, you know, Portland for the last eight years has made the playoffs. Portland's problem was they can't get out of the first round. Right. Uh, but they've been in playoffs eight consecutive years. They were 42 and 30 last year. And, you know, the only, they're the biggest show in Portland too. The Blazers are, and they have major league uh, soccer, but that's it, you know? You, and so, this would be a great place. It's a great place to play. And I think that was a part of the appeal for, for Larry. So they, and, and by the way, Kobe Altman could have traded him anyway. There was nothing to prevent it, but they did green light that trade. Yeah. And um, it seems like it's, it's going to be a good situation for everybody. I mean, the Cavs are getting uh, Lori Markinen, who they think can space the floor and give them a little bit more size. Um, so, and, you know, Larry Nance will be out in, in Portland and, you think they well, market and, you know, remember the Cavs are analytic driven. The other thing the analytics loves is the stretch four, right? The six foot 10 or seven foot guy who can make three pointers. That's marketing. In fact, these are two diametrically opposite players. The things that marketing does well, 
which is primarily outside shooting. And he's pretty just a pretty good scorer overall. That's not Larry's game. Everything else that Larry does well, the defense, the hustle, uh, deflections, all those little things. Frankly, that's not Markin. Markin is not as soft. Now, Markin can, can score. As a, this year, when he started earlier in the season, he averaged 17 points a game. Then he made some trades. They've had a situation in Chicago since he's been there in 2017, much like the Cavaliers. Coaching changes, you know, front office changes, just a bunch of stuff going on. So he's only 24 years old. They like him, and they think when you have a seven-footer in Mobley and a seven-footer in Jared Allen, neither one are outside shooters. We match them with this guy. But, David, they still need a small forward. I mean, I guess I could play a Coral there. I've had two um, top executives in other teams said, the Cavs, you know, get to be a good team when you have a Coro in the backcourt with Garland and Sexton off the bench. He says, that would be it, and you have a real small forward. You know, we're not talking about LeBron, but just a real small forward. He says, that's when they're taking it. You can start talking about the playoffs. He says, that would be the kind of thing that would work. Yeah, and as uh, our colleague Chris Feeder has been writing, the pickings, it's very thin, Mark. Yeah. There's not much out there right now. For The quest continues for the small <laughs> forward. So we'll, yeah, we'll see how. It's just, there's always a, you know, it's always if you ever want to, you know, win a, uh, a bet. The first time LeBron left, the guy who started as small forward the following year was Jamario Moon, There's the Moon the Man. The name from the past, huh? Yes, and I forgot who it was this time, but it might have been Chetty Osman, I think. I can't remember. And so uh, he's still there, by the way. Perpetual Chetty Osman just goes on, but I, I don't think he can play other than a real marginal sub. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's the way the team feels. And, but again, you gotta, you gotta have somebody else. And until they yeah. get somebody else, like that, someone's got, that's why they'll probably minutes. play a coral there. They say he's smaller, but he's better than those other guys. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's interesting, you know, you look at the Larry Nance trade and then a guy like Kevin Love, and we've been hearing rumors of a Kevin Love buyout for months and months and months here. And it's always interesting to me, some guys will give up money to win and other guys you know, are in a different place with their, I'm not saying Kevin Love doesn't want to win, but what we're hearing from Jeff Schwartz um, reports about it, um, Kevin Love's agent, Jeff Schwartz saying there's no buyout. Uh, they don't want to buy out and they're not interested in one. Um, I like how but, they both, they said, and there's been never a discussion of a buyout and never, right. And never, a discussion I mean, please, a, yeah, please, please, you know, I mean, you, here you got you a guy just, who's entering the twilight of his career could still contribute if he's healthy on a team that just needs a little bit of, of someone who can make some shots to get them over the top. And to, just to see that was very weird, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was. And on top of that, David, Schwartz has represented three players who recently took buyouts. Uh, Aldridge was one. Uh, Andre Drummond was another. And Blake Griffin was a third, just recently. So this guy will do buyout contracts. By the way, Andre Drummond was with the Cowboys. So I don't want to hear that it's never, the word's never been mentioned or something. Fine. You know, right now they're not, I think they're back to, let's see if we can get a trade, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, Chris Fedor and I really disagree on this. We've talked about that where, you know, he thinks it can come back with love and playing 15, 20 minutes a game or whatever and get something out of him. I'm like, you reach a point with a player, it's just get him out of here. And I equated to many years ago uh, when the 
Indians were locked in with Michael Bourne and Nick Swisher. Remember that. Absolutely. And these guys are hurt all the time. They were expensive. Um, especially Swisher was not exactly Mr. Um, you know, positive. You know, he came across that way in public. One well, things went bad. So he went down Well, the Indians made this deal with the Braves where they took on a, a guy named Johnson and his contract, it was like for $12 million. And for them, they threw in like another 15 million for them to take Swisher and Bourne. Remember, that's like the Cavs given a hundred million to get rid of a guy, you know, and, but it was the best thing that happened. The team won 30, 31 and 20 after they made that trade at midseason. That was in 15, and it set up 2016 because you know what they did? They, they kind of moved those guys off. They moved the younger guys in. It was um, like a mental thing that they're moving on from this. And I just think that, that not that the Cavs will make a dramatic jump forward, but it's a mental thing for both um, the Cavaliers psyche. And then also for Kevin to, to get out of here. Cause you saw the different, you know, flare ups there have been the last few years. And I just hope if they can't make a deal that they do a buyout later on. Do you think it's something where they're waiting to see how the season plays out a little bit in terms of if they do take a buyout, they could pick a, pick their team and they'd have a better chance of having him land with a team that he'd really want to be on. Sure. Like a Portlander, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you you, you never know what injuries are going to happen early in a season and and the the landscape changes. So. And unfortunately he played so poorly in the Olympics. Remember that he wasn't in shape. I don't By the way, whoever advised him to do that, my guess is Kevin just came up with that on his own. That was not a good idea. Well, it was supposed to help him on the, on the court, but it ended up probably hurting him off the court in, in terms of trade value, yeah, trade value. In terms of getting ready for the season. He wanted to get some minutes in. So yeah, it's um uh, it's going to be an interesting thing to follow during the season and uh, yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. I, 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 I think Kevin love is, I don't know. I get the sense that he's liked in the franchise and in the locker room, but we don't really have any way of knowing that, especially with yeah. COVID. So, I mean, Theodore, I, I was kind Chris... of thinking about Swisher, you know, like a Swisher, I don't think had a great rapport no. in the locker no, room. I'm not saying Kevin Love didn't, but uh, doesn't here. But um, sometimes that plays in, like you said, the cu- changing the culture can be as important as the actual personnel move. And I mean, frankly, you've got marketing who does a lot of the things that Love would do at this point in his career, mm-hmm. you know, because Kevin isn't as good a rebounder as he was because of all his physical limitations. So he's kind of a, a stretch for a shooter. So, so we'll see. All right, well, let's move on to Indians. We got about a month left in the season here, and they're hanging right around the 500 mark. Some, some days they're a game or two over, some days a game or two below. Um, you know, remarkable, state- David. It's remarkable they are right where they are. With given, first of all, when you go into the season with the baseball second lowest payroll and youngest roster, you usually are not going to be talking 500. It's like, in fact, is this set up to lose 100 games? This is like in the, in the broad spectrum. This is what, almost one of those. Mm-hmm. But these guys, you know, they go in, they say, they always say they're going to compete and that. And while they're not competing for a playoff spot as such, you look at the Indians right now. Uh, the advantage to them not having Beaver, not having Savali, is it forced uh, Quantrill to pitch and McKenzie to pitch and Mejia to pitch and Eli Morton to pitch. And it allows uh, Sam Henkins to pitch and it allows you to look through those guys. Who do you like? Who don't you like? They've been able to run trials most of the year in different positions and yet not been an embarrassment on the field. Yeah, and last year at this time, this all would have been happening out in East Lake at Classic Park, but they're actually doing it in major league games. And like you said, they're they're winning, they're winning games. 
and a lot of these guys, they were just forced up from A ball or a little double A uh, before this year. Uh, you know, when you look at it, Mejia, I think, is probably a reliever. You know, they've been starting him, and he was not ready for this. Morton, to me, reminds me a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Eli Morgan uh, reminds me a little bit of Josh Tomlin. You know, that kind of, as they call it, the fifth and a half starter. Uh, he starts some of the time. He can pitch some of the bullpen. He throws strikes, um, and you just could kind of know that he's he's going to give you a professional appearance. It's, it's not going to go out there and just walk five in a row. I'm still stunned, by the way, how Tristan McKenzie could be a guy who earlier in the year, I believe, walked five consecutive batters and came within four outs of a perfect game. <laughs> it's something. It and is. It, again, and, it, just, and it just goes to show the growth you're talking about, about these guys mm-hmm. just developing on a very rapid um, upswing. Their curve is... And I heard that, that his... Um, um, his arm problems were minor, if even that. They just wanted to make sure that they get him through the season, so they just kind of shut him down because he's had arm problems in the past. And you just kind of look at his body, you just wonder how durable can that guy be? Because um, I know at the, the beginning of the year, one of the internal discussions was if he didn't look like he could be a starter this year, well, let's move him to the bullpen and make sure that maybe his arm will respond better than that. But the arm's been pretty good. And I just think they, they, they just skip in effect. They skipped the start by putting him on a 10 day uh, uh, disabled list. Well, we'll see how they decide to go down the stretcher with a month left. And uh, they do want they, Bieber definitely to pitch. I know that in the last game or two at the season, they think it's uh, assuming his arm continues to get stronger, all that stuff. Uh, they think it's very good for him mentally to get out there and pitch just to know he can do it. Um, so now they're not going to take any chances, but they would like that. And I equate it was many years ago because it was the fact that I believe it was the last home game at Cleveland stadium. Charlie Nagy had missed a ton of time towards the end of that year with an arm problem. Nagy wanted to pitch and they pitched. I think only went like four innings, but then the next year Nagy mentioned that that game really helped them with his confidence. He, you know, he said in the bullpen, you kind of think you're getting your start, your stuff back, but he went out and saw it. His arm felt good in the winter of the off season. So if the Indians go in that direction with Bieber, that will be the reason. Yeah, it's like you get the sense that everything that's been happening with the Indians and the name change and the lease and yeah. even, even on the field, everything is just they're just trying to get everything set up for next season. And so that it, everything it, it, is moving in the same direction. The payroll will be higher. These young guys will be a year older. Um, do you get that sense, too? It's almost like your whole house is being reconstructed. Mm-hmm. You know, you're living in the same place, but, you know. They're ripping the front out. They're changing the windows. They're replacing half the roof. We're going to paint the whole thing different. In fact, that house, that the, the little thing that we had in front of our house, they called it, you know, Campbell's Castle. We're ripping that down. <laughs> now it's, you know, Cam, you know, Campbell's cool place, whatever. But if you think about it, we're going to rename it. We're going to repaint it. We're going to take the roof off. We're going to do all these things and both on the roster and that. And, but David, when you go back and ask yourself, how many of these guys that were big name players over the last few years, they've given up with the exception of Michael Brantley. And that was a huge one, but other than him name one who has really pitched well or hit well, Bauer was, but you know, Bauer's got all kinds of issues and, and, you know, he was never going to stay here. So, 
if you take that in consideration, you just go down the line. I mean, I just saw Corey Kluber went out and got hammered his last start with the Yankees trying to come back again. You know, I mean, Lindor, I am shocked how poorly he's played. David is now 150 games for this guy hitting like 238 or whatever it is. I had it in the paper over the weekend and it's shocking. Well, and beyond that, I mean, the thing, Mr. Smiles is they're out there giving fans <laughs> a thumbs down and thumbs down. The fans. Like, yeah. That plays well in New York. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's really where you want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to love that. So, well, and the thing is you go to New York, you sign for 341 million because you want 1 million more than by the way, Tatis who signed for 304, 340, you want 341 and you want all this stuff. Well, you got it. And I, I don't have a lot of, uh, when you act like that and Javi Baez uh, just showed up there, you know, like six weeks ago, it was crazy. So how about this? We all knew Ahmad Rosario by far would be the best player in that trade. Yeah, every, that's what everybody was saying. Everybody called him. <laughs> I'm the one saying, well, they kind of got him. They really wanted Jimenez and some of these kids. But, you know, Antonetti told me recently we were talking, he said, if you look back at 2019, which we did, which was Rosario's last full season, he batted 287. He had an OPS over 700. He had like 15 homers. He stole bases. You know, and he goes, he plays hard. You know, is he a good defensive shortstop? No. And I'll have to rectify that. But you want him in your lineup somewhere. And that guy, in the middle of spring training, you go to him and say, we need you to play center field. I mean, a lot of guys would not have taken well to that. And he just went out. He was working at that. Yeah, he's just rolled with everything they've thrown at him. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Fortunately, they have uh, Miles Straw. They don't have to put him in center, but left field next year, maybe? Could be. Could be. I'm sure you know, they'll look at that. Yep. They'll look at that. So, All right. Hey, we've got a few minutes left. Um, Terry, you're, you know, um, you're, in your faith column, you've been writing about a really interesting topic that I think has resonated with people, and that is how we deal with um, people who are in retail, people who work at restaurants, fast food places, and I know you've gotten some really good response. I, I, I was reading your column last week, your faith column, and, and you wrote about how you were in a restaurant when you were up in Michigan and you noticed there were two waitresses or servers working at, I, I don't remember if it was male or female, but there were two servers and, and one woman came over to serve your table. You saw she was having a rough day and I almost got tears in my eyes at this story. You, you gave her a tip before, right when she came up, you just said, Hey, I want to give this to you because I know you're having a rough day. And, and, and you said and you said she got very emotional about that. Yeah, we were and, watching. There were these two ladies, older ladies. One of them was even limping, you know, and they're trying to bust the tables and wait. It was sort of a sports bar thing. And it was um, late at night. It was like after eight, you know, to be eating. And people were coming in to pick up pizzas and all this stuff. And she came over and, she, and we sat there about 15 minutes. It wasn't too bad, but she's just apologizing all over the place. And I've been watching her and I just, oh, you're doing fine. And I just put a bill in her hand and she just looked at, she starts crying. She goes, Oh, you know, these are like, we all just feel like quitting here. We can't. And they got into the, you know, the labor issue and that, which goes in a different direction. But the point is, you know, we want to debate social and political policies. A lot of times, well, what about the person who is working, you know, in retail or is frankly, the person that's in customer service, you know, which is a tough job and that, and they are doing double work. Um, and so I just think it, it struck a chord with a lot of people because it's like, can we put ourselves in their spot? Because I think we've all had jobs where you walk around and go, 
we are really understaffed on this one. Yeah, and it's, it's funny. There's a lot of people saying, oh, people don't want to work these days. People don't want to work. But then when we go out somewhere or we're in a line, we're in a line that we think yeah. shouldn't be as long, we always look at it from our point of view, like, boy, this is taking way longer. I could be doing X, Y, and Z instead of standing in this line. And I thought it was refreshing. And you actually got an email from somebody um, who went to Arby's. <laughs> I thought this was interesting too. Yeah. And they ordered they ordered salted fries and they ended up giving them the salted fries because somebody was looking out for them and said, hey, here's your unsalted fries. Yeah. Um, the way you wanted it. I thought that was really interesting that he took the, this man took the time to call Arby's management after and thank them for that. And I think that's the kind of approach that I think we all could use a little bit of these days, right? Yeah. One of the best things to do when I see somebody's really struggling, I get up there in the line or whatever, and I go, boy, it looks like you've been really busy. And I said, you know, and I know you're trying to do the best you can. Even if it doesn't look like they are, the person goes, oh, yeah, I am. You know, it, it, it's kind of like, right. Because, like, if you yell at them, it's just going to get worse anyway. I, I had another friend came up to me and said, he said something nice to the cashier. And he said he could tell she just started. And. She goes, thank you for not yelling at me. Well, if we want people to work and they say, guess what? We're seeing a lot of people who are just entering the workplace. It's almost like rookie players. Uh, One of my things I love to say in baseball, they all want to see the kids play from the minors until they actually see them play. (laughs) Because most of them have, you know, the wide eyed. They look like they've never seen a curveball before. They've been hitting the cutoff, man, since they were 14 years old. But suddenly they're heaving the ball, you know, to the back screen because it's just, you know, the, the bigger stage or whatever. Well, it's the same thing, too. If you're nervous on a new job and suddenly you, you can't get the computer to work right, and the, you know, they're, they're yelling at you. We all have that feeling. We have to remember that, you know, when we're dealing with other people, they felt like we did whenever we were kind of thrown into the water. Not forget have not having a life preserver. You think they put 20 pound weights in your pockets. <laughs> yeah, I was um, I was driving around uh, over the weekend and I saw somebody had a sign in their front yard and it was in the Cleveland script. That's the yeah. script way Cleveland, except it said kind land. And I thought yeah. that was a nice turn on it. It just kind of made me think about your column and kind of um, what people have been saying about it so everybody try and live in kindland this week and we'll see how we do right that would be good and meanwhile who's gonna be the kicker for the browns chase mclaughlin yeah (laughs) (laughs) or as chris palmer told phil dawson it's one of the great lines dawson still remembers it he he they actually they brought in a kicker the last two days dawson had like beat off two other guys he thought he had the job and then two days right before they brought in some other guy who actually kicked for somewhere else he gets cut he says so i expected this great you know endorsement from chris palmer he comes up to me goes well i guess we'll start with you (laughs) and then he stuck around for years and years (laughs) years. way past chris palmer yeah he went till 2012 and he still should have kicked about five more years joe banner you know, he let analytics get way out of control on that one. Oh, we're not paying the kicker $3 million or whatever. Yeah, well, fine. You can watch all these other guys. Yeah, you need when you need a kicker, you need a kicker. But I'll tell you, it's the beginning of a new dawn of Illinois yes. football, Terry. Chase McLaughlin is going to get the Browns kicking job, and then Illinois beat Nebraska Saturday. So my alma mater is back on the upswing. Oh, Things are looking wow. up. Wow. So. I did not know that about you. (laughs) There you go. Um, All right, Terry. Well, I'm glad we got this first. Oh, we got to get your Browns. Let's let's do this. Give us your Browns prediction, and then we'll go a little more in depth on it last week in terms of 
um, what you're expecting. Yeah, because we'll be able yeah. to have another one. Yeah. Um, basic raw numbers, 11 and 6, and I got them going to what amounts to the final four of, um, you know, conference finals. So the AFC championship game. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and we'll then, get more uh, next week. We'll know more about yep. the cuts. We'll know more about the final roster. We can, uh, we can weigh in on that. Uh, anything else, Terry? That'll do it. All right. Well, thanks for doing this and it was a fun first episode. We'll try and do this every week. And thanks for listening to Terry's talking. Um, we have a theme song right now. If anybody wants to write us a theme song, we'd love to hear some, right? <laughs> work Terry's talking. Maybe I'll get my accordion out and I'll see what yeah, I can Yeah, that'll do. be that'll be good. I just don't <laughs> want the dead skunk in the middle of the road. That wonderful hit. <laughs> all right. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, Terry. We'll talk to you all next week. You're welcome.